How often have we had those thoughts or known somebody who has those thoughts when we see someone on TV or we see someone in jail or we see a celebrity or even a politician talk about their faith or somebody we know and we're like, I know their life. They're not really. And this series has been called Perspective, and it's about perspective. But it's not just about listening to both me and Andy. It's not just about looking through the eyes of the people that we talk about. It's about learning to look through everyone's eyes. I think one of the things I said last week, I don't take notes like Chastity, so I'm not sure. But I think one of the things I said last week was to look at people through the eyes of Jesus. And that's what we have to do. And I love that video. When Sean showed me that video, I was so excited for it. Because that's a good parable. And we often use that parable to talk about money or to talk about sacrifice. But to look at the anger, how it goes from sadness to anger, how it goes from disappointment to anger, that's easy for us to do. And so today, which you probably figured out from the video, we're talking about the thief on the cross. Someone who most of us don't even know the name, and and I found a name, whether or not it's real, it is what it is. Someone who is unnamed, someone we don't even know what they did, but we know that they were a criminal. That's literally all that's known about them. And we're going to look at how they saw Jesus, but more importantly, how he saw them. And so let's go to Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 49. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, uh, or Calvary, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers uh, gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. We've heard the word Calvary, it's the place of the skull. We know this story. We talk about this story every year. This is the story the life event that that our faith is based on. The criminals were already there as this was happening. So I want to talk about what both of them saw on this day, what both of them saw while they were hanging there, what what both of them saw while they were about to die. They saw, or at least heard about, Jesus getting lashed 39 times with a whip. Now, we know this story, But we kind of don't really talk about that very much because it's hard to think about. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, the movie from, I think, 2004. Uh, And it's hard to watch. Like, it's a wonderful movie, but it is hard to watch because we know he died for us. We know he went through this. But to see it, man, which is why I would encourage you to see that. And so basically the whip, like it would go in and it had lead tips. And it would pull out chunks of flesh when it came back. And they did that 39 times over and over again to someone who had never done anything wrong. And so the criminals knew that. They knew that that this innocent man was being beaten almost to death. And so they saw that, or at least they heard it. They saw and they heard the soldiers and the crowds mocking him 
for no reason and just yelling out things, gambling for his clothes, doing all of these things, putting a mocking sign above his head, doing all of these things against him. They knew the crucifixion that awaited them. They, they knew how that kills you. And, and there are a bunch of ways you could die from crucifixion. Basically, the nail uh, for Jesus that went into his median nerve, medial nerve, sorry, in his wrist. And so you can bleed to death. Uh, the pain can really get to you and you can stop breathing. But mainly you suffocate. And so you're hanging there. And then you have to, in order to take a breath, pull yourself up, which hurts and rips your flesh more. And it's really painful and really bad and really hard to talk about and really hard to hear about. And the criminals knew that was going to happen. They saw that. They knew what he was going through. They saw everything. In fact, the word excruciating comes from crucifixion. So it is a very painful thing. All of this was painful. But they also saw Jesus say, as all of this is happening, Father, forgive them. Imagine that. Imagine seeing that and just waiting because the criminals, they're thinking, man, he's going to yell or he's going to do this or he's going to do that. Oh, he's just going to give up this sword. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In the worst pain imaginable, at the worst time imaginable, with everything happening to him, this suffering is incalculable. Father, forgive them. It's insane. It's crazy. It's something we'd never consider doing. They saw, these criminals saw the whole of Jesus' ministry in one day, in just a couple hours. They saw him just show love and show grace and show forgiveness. And we see who he was, who he is, and who he always will be. I have a quote. If Jesus forgave those who nailed him to the cross, and if God forgives you and me, how can you withhold your forgiveness from someone else? If Jesus forgave the people who made fun of him, who gambled for his clothes, who beat him almost to death, if he forgave the people who dragged him along, and I've read tales where as he's carrying the cross or as he's walking along with the cross, he fell 14 times because of weakness and pain. He forgave them. How can we withhold that? How can we possibly say that we are Christians, say that we are like Jesus and forgive? Sometimes we have really bad days and legit bad days. And so we take it out on somebody else. And then we apologize, but we still, we take it out on somebody else. Or sometimes because we struggled in an area or because we had financial issues or because we had to pay this or pay that or because we didn't have that debt. We want other people to struggle in the same way. Sometimes because we believe a certain way and somebody else doesn't, we just don't like them. We just cut them out. We just forget about them. We turn away from them. And yet, Jesus, who was broken and mocked and about to die, forgives and loves. The most common thing that we say in the church, and I feel pretty accurate in this, is be like Jesus. It's, it's the, the standard answer, and it's true, but it's the standard thing we say in churches. Be like Jesus. You should be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. The goal is to be like Jesus. All of that is true. 
And sometimes when we talk about that, I think, we think be like Jesus means pray, read your Bible, go to church. And that's true. That's part of it. But this is the heart of it. That forgiveness at the worst. That that showing grace when you don't want to. That showing love when you're shown hatred. That's being like Jesus. That's who we are. That's why we're here. That's what it means. I've said over and over and over again that there are two times a year that we do this. And that's Easter and Christmas. And we do this because we feel it and we see it. And it's so exciting. we got to do it all the time. There are a lot of reasons the world is the way it is. And there's a lot of reasons that we can find to blame for why people don't go to church or why people have this as a priority or why this happens. I get that. But we are not exempt from that. And we have to show Jesus. We have to be like him. We have to be like him on the cross, showing love, showing forgiveness, showing grace, showing who he is. And it's hard and it's frustrating and it's sad, but it's Christian. Going to the next scripture. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Uh, Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been uh, sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, Today you will be with me in paradise. As I said, the the names and the crimes of the criminals go unmentioned. Uh, I I looked through a lot of commentaries and a lot of different places to try to figure out what they did and to try to find who they were. And and there's a lot of different theories about what they did. Uh, They could have been robbers. They could have been murderers. Some people said they were revolutionaries. Some people said they were rebels. Uh, Regardless, they did something. They had sinned in some way. And so they... For what it, You can argue whether they deserve to be there because that's a really bad thing to go through. But they knew that they had done something that led them to that. And so as sinners, they're hanging next to a person who had never sinned. Which again shows us who Jesus is and who he was. Because in life, in death, he always surrounds himself with sinners. And he always shows love, he always shows grace. And so they saw that. Um, there's an apocryphal book, which I believe is in Catholic Bibles, uh, by Nicodemus. You know, the Nicodemus from John 3. And it calls them, let me get it right, uh, Dismas and Gestus. And so Dismas is the one that asks for forgiveness, and Gestus is the other one. Uh, I don't know, like I said, I, I don't know. But that is what is accepted for them. Both were scared. Both were in pain. Both knew they were about to die. Both had seen the same things from Jesus. They'd seen the beatings. They'd seen the hatred. They'd seen the forgiveness. They'd seen the love. They had the exact same experiences. And this is what's insane about humanity. Because they had the exact same experiences and they reacted in wildly different ways. Which we do all the time. We can watch the exact same game. Or the exact same movie or the exact same TV show and take different things from it. There are people in the world who have seen IU Purdue and actually like Purdue and it's insane. (laughs) 
But we understand that people have different perspectives even when they're wrong. One of them reacted in anger. He lashed out and he was hurting. If you ever can justify anger, it's when you're hurting like that and dying like that. And so he lashes out. He saw Jesus react in the way probably he wished he could react. And he lashes out. He, he pushes him away. And most likely he was angry at himself. He was angry at the soldiers. He had nothing against Jesus. But he directs it at Jesus. And Jesus said directly to us over and over again, you know, they're going to hate you. The more you're like me, the more they're going to hate you. Because when we show that grace, when we show that love, when we show that forgiveness, when we are truly being like him, that shines a spotlight on everyone who doesn't. Christian or not. And some people, like this criminal, will react by pushing us away, by being angry, by by just cutting us out. And so that guy, he just reacted in anger. The other, though, he separated himself. And he respected God. And he saw those same things. But he's like, wow. Wow. This person is in Tremendous pain. He got beaten. I didn't get beaten. He's hanging by nails and he's dying and he's still forgiving. There has to be something to this. And so he saw it. And he calls out to Jesus. He knew that he was a sinner and he called out to Jesus. Not for rescue. Not to justify his crimes. But just to be remembered. He knew that he had done wrong things. He knew Jesus hadn't. And he's like, hey... You are clearly who you say you are. And so just remember me, please. And Jesus, again, shows who he is. Because instead of just nodding his head, or saying, okay, or I'll think about it, or I'll pass it along to my secretary, he said, you will be with me today in paradise. Now here's the thing. That is not just an important statement. In order to say that, he had to lift himself up and go through tremendous pain. So he goes beyond. He goes beyond what what any of us could do. And beyond remembering him. And, and, And he hurts himself, literally puts himself in pain in order to give this person peace. In order to give him hope. And it's the only deathbed conversion in the Bible. Which isn't to say that they can't happen, but just that it's rare. But that criminal, he died knowing peace and hope. And maybe it was the first time he'd ever known those things. And it was because Jesus put himself through pain to give him that assurance, to give him that hope. I just spoke a second ago about forgiveness and about forgiving others. And how can we withhold it? Sometimes we'll justify the withholding. Ah, they're not really sorry. Oh, they did this and they have to make it up. Or, oh, they don't deserve it. I've got bad news for you about deserving forgiveness. And I have a quote from Philip Yancey. The first one was from Anne Grant. Jesus forgave a thief dangling on a cross, knowing full well the thief had converted out of plain fear. That thief would never study the Bible, never attend synagogue or church, and never make amends to those he had wronged. 
He simply said, Jesus, remember me, and Jesus promised, today you will be with me in paradise. It was another shocking reminder that grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. Too often, we forget that everything we have is by grace. We are here by grace. We are forgiven by grace. We are saved by grace. We have this church by grace. We have our hope, our lives, our faith, our, our, our love, everything by grace. Now that doesn't mean don't try. It doesn't mean, oh, well, you know, Jesus died for my sins and so I can just do whatever I want and then at the end I'll worry about it. No, it doesn't mean that. We still try our best. We still try to be like him. But it means that we don't earn it. And so we can't expect other people to earn it. We try our best and we want other people to try our best. But it's by grace that we are saved. By grace that we join him one day. And I have a question. Don't answer it because I don't mess up things. But I want you to think about it. How many Christians. How many Christians would have given that thief the same assurance? How many Christians would have said yes and not, well, you got to work on this first. You got to go do this first. I'm sorry, you got to, it's too late. How many Christians, how many of us would not have given that thief the peace that he was craving. But Jesus did. Jesus goes above and beyond. Jesus shows everything. Jesus didn't think it was too late. He knew his heart. Forgiveness is hard. It is incredibly hard. And it's absolutely true that sometimes people don't deserve it. Sometimes they don't want it. Sometimes they don't ask for it. Forgiveness isn't about other people. It's about us. And it's about letting things go. It's about not hating. It's about moving forward. Now listen. Sometimes we do have to cut people out of our lives. There are abusive situations. There are legitimately toxic situations. And I'm not using that in the way that the younger generations use it. Because that's a frustrating thing to me. Is people today, everybody, will say, oh, that person's toxic. When what they really mean is that person disagrees with me. And that's... Dumb, because we should have people in our lives that disagree with us. I'm talking legitimately, hurtfully toxic. So sometimes that happens. Sometimes for our own sake, for our family's sake, sometimes we do have to cut people out. But even then, not in anger, and not in hatred, and not just for disagreeing, and not just for being different, and not just for believing different, and not just even for living differently. Not because of who they voted for. Not because of what party they're in. Not even because they wrongfully think that LeBron is better than Jordan. And I have a stat I would love to show you that proves the case even further that Jordan is, but it's not important right now. I'll show you after. His grace gives us hope. The chance to live, the chance to grow. And it also gives us the call to show that grace to everyone. So again, sometimes we do have to cut people out. 
But even in those cases, we have to forgive them in our hearts. You don't even necessarily have to go to them and say it. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say forgive and forget. It just says forgive. Remembering does not mean hating. It does not mean continuing to dredge it up. It does not mean every time you see them post, you remind them of who they are and what they've done. It means we forgive them. And then we move forward, and maybe it's in a different direction. But we move forward in love, in hope, praying for them. We see that in Jesus. The criminal saw that in Jesus. I have no idea what that criminal expected. I would imagine, knowing what they were going through, he probably didn't even expect an answer. He just wanted to be remembered, and he wanted to say it, and he wanted to take the chance. But man... To see the effort, to see the love, to see the hope. Jesus really showed him something. Wrap up the scripture. Verse 44. By this time it was about noon. And darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Uh, There's a Roman historian, Phlegon, who I'm sure you're all aware of. Uh, He wrote, he wasn't there, but he wrote about a total eclipse that happened. And how impossible it was that it happened. Now, I'm not saying just because eclipses are rare. I'm saying when there's a full moon and the Passovers are always during a full moon season, it's impossible to have a total eclipse. And yet he wrote that it happened right there. Not that we need historical backup, but it's always kind of cool to see that. And he wrote of earthquakes that happened and just how crazy it was. The people there saw this. The people there felt this. The criminals, if they were still alive, saw this and felt this. And I wonder about the one who made fun of Jesus. It doesn't say he said anything, so he probably didn't say anything. But man... He had to think about missing out and how, how could I do this? This is clearly somebody who is powerful, somebody who is important, somebody who is real. And I always love the part about the veil of the temple torn in two. And it goes from top to bottom. And that's before Jesus died. That was his last earthly act. And that's important. Because in those days, the veil, uh, the, the priest, the rabbi would go behind and pray for us. And there were times they'd tie a rope to them in case they were stricken down because they were sinful. But we couldn't go on our own to God. Which is crazy to think about. Imagine every time you have to pray, you have to go to me or Andy and say, hey, this is what I want you to pray about. Go take care of it. Like you're holding it for a week or you're calling. Like that's hard to think about. But that was just the way it was. And that veil tearing is God saying, you can come straight to me. 
It's Jesus saying, hey, I'm doing this not just to forgive you of your sins, which is vital, but to give you an open path to me so that we can always go to him. We can keep that communication going. We can live in constant prayer, and it's so awesome. And the criminals who probably were still alive, they were hurting But they probably heard that. They saw everything that was happening. They knew what was going on. And here's the thing. I'm going to switch to a perspective on Jesus real quick. Don't tell Andy. As horrible as the physical pain was. We don't often talk about the spiritual pain Jesus was going through. We will all say, and we all know, he took our sins on himself. And that's true. That's how this happened. He was a sacrifice, just like the old animal sacrifices. And he took our sins and put them away, gave us a chance to be forgiven, gave us a chance for salvation. But here's the thing. As horrible as the physical was, that was so much worse because he had never sinned. He had never felt sin. He had never felt that. When he prays about, please take the cup of suffering from me, this is the cup of suffering. The physical pain was horrible, but he knew this. Feeling that separation from God, feeling that sin, feeling that death would be so hard. He'd never felt sin, and now he felt all of ours. And he did that for us. He did that for everybody, even the people making fun of him. And it's so important for us to know that. One final quote to go along with that. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Wrapping up this series, keep perspective in mind. Make the sacrifice, not just to give stuff up, not just to give up your time, not just to give up your money, although all of those things are important, but the sacrifice to give up your judgments, to give up your hatred, to to, to give up your anger, to give more love, to look through other people's eyes, to think how other people would think, not to agree with them, but to understand. No sacrifice is too great. Help other people. The criminals saw that Jesus did this. And he didn't have time to to do a lot with it. We do. So, you may or may not know this, but I have a niece. Uh, She turns four next week, which makes me a thousand. I love her. And so it's not hard for me to sacrifice for her. But it's still hard for me to sacrifice for her, if that makes sense. Uh, Since she was born, I go at least once a week to Indianapolis to spend time with her. Uh, You may not know this, but gas is not cheap. And also, uh, I go to Valvoline to get my oil changed, unless someone in here suddenly wants to start doing it for free. That's cool. But I have had the comments, wow, you go through oil changes fast. That's also fun. And I give time. She's very expensive, so I give money. She likes Chick-fil-A. 
and cookies and malls and museums. I also sacrificed something else that is very hard for me. I know that some of you know me and some of you just see me up here and so you're used to me just talking. That's hard for me because I'm very shy and introverted and anxious and I question everything I say and it's very hard. She does not. And so when we're in public and she wants to play hide and seek in the furniture section of Macy's, I have to do it. And when there's other couples and I'm walking around saying, oh, is Beatrice in that trash can? No. Is she over here? No. I do it because I love her. More than that, then she tells me where to hide and I have to go do that. And that's very embarrassing to me. But I make the sacrifice of not showing it because to her it's fun. And there's a story from this week. I'm going to tell it and try to tie it in. So we were in Macy's, which now apparently owns the Toys R Us brand, which I wish I'd known before we went in Macy's. Uh, she likes to ride the Axigators, which is the escalators. And um, so we went all the way to the top and we played hide and seek, as I said. And then we came down and right in front of the second floor Axigators is Toys R Us. And so we're walking through there and I let her pick out something. Uh, <laughs> because I do that. And so uh, it's a little llama, stuffed llama. And so while I'm paying, she's right next to the cash register because I always keep her in my sight no matter what. And there's these frilly dresses. And she's like, Papa, look. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And she's standing there. And I can see her head, the top of her head. And she has this beautiful little dress on with a rainbow. And it's got little straps. And all of a sudden, somebody taps me from behind, and it's this big, muscular guy. And he's like, excuse me, sir, your daughter's taking off her clothes. <laughs> now, I've never been in that situation. So I immediately was like, what? And then I realized, oh no, and I look over, and she was holding one of those frilly dresses, and her dress was down to her midsection. And I tell you that story partially because it's funny, but partially because those are the sacrifices that I make for her because I love her. And I know parents here, grandparents here, other relatives here can tell similar stories where you make these sacrifices for kids. Here's the thing. Jesus says to love everyone in the same way. Which means we make those sacrifices for everyone. Maybe not in the same. Maybe if Mike's taken off his clothes in Macy's, I kind of step aside. <laughs> but we make those sacrifices of time, of showing love, of showing who we are, of showing who Jesus is for everyone. Because he did for us and he did for the thief on the cross and he gives us the ability to do it. So instead of just at Easter and just at Christmas, We've got to sacrifice to be like him every single day. That's all I got.